This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. Well, I know you're really jazzed about today's show because we get to talk about one of our favorite shows on television, Veep. I love it. I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I love sort of the reality, the faux reality of it all. And it's such a great ensemble cast. Every last one of the people on the show just knocks it out of the park week after week after week. Do you agree? I do. And especially Matt Walsh, who plays bumbling, innocent, sweet White House press secretary Mike McClintock. I just find him hilarious. He's one of those people that you look at him, you just want to laugh because it's a very funny mustache that he's sporting in that show. Didn't he die said mustache once? (laughs) I think think he did. In a very early episode? Unsuccessfully, yes. (laughs) To give him a little more youthful verve. (laughs) But Matt's a really interesting character in and of himself. He's kind of a legend of the improv comedy world. He helped to co-found Upright Citizens Brigade. His other co-founders included Amy Poehler. And he's had a a fascinating career. He was an early correspondent on The Daily Show. He's appeared on a ton of sitcoms and in a lot of movies. He was in The Hangover. He was in that fine film called Hung. <laughs> was that a, was that a film or a TV series? Maybe it was I think both. it was on in the 400s on my cable. I don't know. Yeah, well, that that may be a different movie. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're very very excited to have Matt Walsh on the show. So here's Matt and Brian. Unfortunately for me, long distance. I am very jealous because you have the very funny. Matt Walsh sitting right next to you in Los Angeles. I'm all the way in New yeah, York City. Yeah, it's a party out here in L.A. <laughs> so we're very excited to have Matt on the show. And Matt, also very flattered because as I understand it, you actually expressed some interest in being on the show. This has got to be a first. <laughs> I'm so, uh, did you think you were doing the show in obscurity? Like yeah. no one listens to it? Well, we're you know, you never know relate. out there in, in uh, <laughs> podcast land. 
I, I'll be honest. Don't take the. I thought you were Katie Holmes. <laughs> oh, no, I just realized your last name is Kirk. Yeah. I'm no, so sorry. No wonder you wanted I'm to do so, this I'm so, so sorry. This is awkward. But you're going to go forward with it anyway. Well, I'm here, and I got to get my parking validated, so I might as well earn it. Yeah, we don't validate unless you do the show. So. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. That's like seven, eight bucks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, let's start. Can we start by talking about sort of your career, Matt, and how you got into this comedy business because you sure. you started the Upright Citizens Brigade. You're a founding member, which is, of course, the famous improv comedy theater that's become an institution in the comedy world. At what age did you realize, hey, I'm kind of funny. I'd like to go into comedy. I think my first performing was in the senior variety show in high school where we wrote sketches that made fun of teachers and uh, we were a big smash hit, and that was like sort of when I got bit by the bug of like writing and performing comedy. And then I took like one acting class in college, and then uh, my sen- my last senior year, I went to Northern Illinois. I discovered this uh, improv class that was taught through Second City. So every once a week, I would drive into the city, and that's when I really discovered like, oh, improv comedy is what I really want to do. And at the time, I was like a psych major, so I was kind of like. When I got out of college, I worked on a psych floor, and then at night I was doing sketch comedy. And well, that, working on but, a psych floor is a good place to find sketch comedy, I guess, huh? Uh, yes and no. It <laughs> is very really sensitive f- comment. <laughs> no, <Sorry>. it is. <laughs> I don't mean that to be callous, but I'm just saying it must be interesting. No, and it was intriguing. hilarious, absolutely, <laughs> and it was survival. You had to laugh, but it was also you were sort of awash with dysfunction when you came home, and I think that trade is very difficult. So I. I stepped away from it, but there was a lot of laughs there, and there was a lot of crazy stories that happened. Absolutely. So UCB is kind of a murderer's row of comedians. I mean, mm-hmm. Amy Poehler helped to sure. found it with you, and Aziz Ansari, and Ellie Kemper, and Nick Kroll are mm-hmm. alums. What makes that particular group different and special? I mean, I, I remember reading that, you know, in the UCB ethos, an improviser should always be thinking about group mind, supporting the other performers. Is that different? Uh, I think one thing we take pride in is we do have a real curriculum. Like Because we were all actors, we'd all been in acting classes where you spend eight weeks and the teacher says, you're amazing. And then when you leave, there's no takeaway. It's like, I thought I was good, but now I haven't learned anything. So we really made a point to like academify what we were teaching. We wrote a book. And so that's one thing I'm super proud of is we really – tried to give students takeaway for their, you know, investment of time at the theater. And I think in general, we're fortunate that people discovered UCB. Like, I don't necessarily take credit for Nick Kroll or any of these people being funny, but once they're plugged into this community and they make these wonderful friendships and they care about this art form, then they have the same passion we do. And I'm and I'm happy that they sort of got that bug the same way that I got that bug. We created a gymnasium where people can practice this art form and and get hooked on it. And that's what makes me super proud. I love this whole idea, too, of caring about the group and really yeah. kind of helping people out so that everybody can shine, uh, which seems to be quite different than the ethos, obviously, of stand-up comedy. I mean, how does that work where you kind of want to su- be supportive of people around you? And how does that affect your interactions in improv? Well, I think stand-up is an art form of, say, critique, cultural, political, et cetera. And I think improv is an art form of collaboration. And uh, I personally like the anonymity of collaboration because you don't have to you don't have to shoulder the burden you're not out in front solo so I guess you can hide inside a group 
art form. So I, I, that's particularly what I liked about it. And also, when you bomb, Matt, you don't bomb by yourself. You're not alone. All of yeah, you bomb. you're not. Everybody bombs. You're not drinking at a Holiday Inn in Madison, Wisconsin, by yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're you're commiserating and making fun of the audience for not getting how good you were. <laughs> We have a clip of uh, <laughs> you and some others on the 25th anniversary of the UCB. Um, you guys were on the Today Show, so let's play that. Oh, wow. Walsh, you slept on people's couches, yes? I couch hopped and then I slept in a... Before they cleaned up the Gowanus Canal, it smelled so bad I thought I had peed myself one night. <laughs> I woke up and it smelled so horrible. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, what happened? And it was just Brooklyn. It was just your neighborhood. <laughs> it was just Brooklyn coming in. And you lost a ton of weight because you walked everywhere. Because yeah. it, was too expensive it was too expensive even to take the Yeah, we subway. were legit poor. <laughs> and so you were legit poor. And and how did you kind of get from there to actually making a living and doing well as a as a comedian? What is the key? You have friends. Like when we landed in New York, we had several friends who worked and wrote on Conan O'Brien and Saturday Night Live. So fortunately for us... Our friends were like, hey, come by for a day and do a bit on Conan or come by for a day and do a f- short film on SNL. So we were sort of plugged into uh, opportunities when we landed. So that truthfully helped pay the rent and forever grateful to a lot of those peoples in, the, in those shows. Um, and then just being seen, like it was word of mouth. It was sort of still pre-YouTube, 96 is when we landed in New York. And so we were doing shows seven nights a week and people who – cared about comedy, gave us props, and then lo and behold, we had shows with audiences. Meanwhile, you have been enjoying uh, being on Veep, I'm sure. It must be, I don't know, is is that a dream come true for you, Matt? Because it is such a great show, and you have such a hilarious character in Mike McClintock, the White House (laughs) press secretary slash director of communications for President Matt. Selena. No longer president, but former president. Former President Selena Myers. How, how much and by fun the way, is that? How relevant is that that the press secretary is also the communications director? Because, of course, in the real life White House, they couldn't get anyone to be the communications director. So no. Spicer's doing it. Mike McClintock was terrible at his job years before Sean Spicer was on the scene. So <laughs> he is not an impersonation of Sean Spicer. I'll say that much. But uh, it's, it is the, it's the best uh, gig to be on a show where. Everybody's funny and nice, and the writing is spectacular, and Julia's amazing. And to have people care about it, like this year more than ever, I think people wanted to laugh at politics. So there's real attention to sort of the labor that you put into the show. And and it's also collaborative. They really want input, and we improvise in rehearsals, and we use they use our input to sort of change the drafts and, and make it better. So it's, it is a rare opportunity to be on a really funny show and also have people watch that show. It's so great. And here's a clip where Selena is impersonating you, your character, uh. Mike. <laughs> let's, let's listen to this. Why don't you just tell the truth? <laughs> I don't sound like that. That's exactly how you sound. No, I don't. Spot on. Yeah, it's pretty close. I don't know where you get that impersonation. <laughs> now, was that, was that just a, a, a spontaneous thing or was that part of the script? That's sort of a bit that lived in the rehearsal room. Julia likes doing an impression of Mike. uh, And it is always, I always crack up when she does her impression of Mike. And it just ended up in one of the episodes. And I think she's done it a couple times. So I always laugh when she does her impression of Mike. And how much of the show is scripted versus stuff you come up with? It's basically 100% scripted. When we get to set and we get our pages for that day, the pages change every day. But once it's on the page, 
there's room to rehearse it and tinker with it and add jokes or say it in your own words, but it's pretty much on the page when we film it. It's interesting. On on Veep, your character is kind of a perpetual screw-up, but yeah. he's also, he's an innocent in a way, and he's also a, a throwback yeah. to an earlier time when, I think you said this in one interview, you could just call Maureen Dowd and fix something. <laughs> yes. And of course, now we live in a different world. How much of Mike's struggle is that the media environment has changed and how much of it is that he's just kind of a blunderbuss to use a, a word from Veep? Uh, he, I think in the beginning, it, it was a result of the fast paced change of how the media was moving. And then I think in reality, he might be a good speechwriter. Like he probably is good with, you know, prose, but he is a little too childlike to be at the head of a communications department. He's easily distracted. I, I like him because he's so earnest, you know, and he's really <laughs> trying to do a good job, and yet he's just so clueless at the same time. And I also yeah. love his relationship with Kathleen Jimmy, who's one of my favorite people oh, in the world. Yeah. She is so funny, and they have— yeah. I mean, you must, you must, you guys must laugh all the time doing that show, or is that just how I imagine it to be? No, it is. I mean, it's— it is like a lot of work. I mean, it's good work. It's the best job in the world. But we do put a lot of effort into making it seem sloppy and naturalistic and real. Um, but Kathy's awesome. She's really funny. And I think that's the first time I ever worked with her was on our show. Uh, but I always look forward to doing scenes with her. She's a great wife. Has it been hard, uh, Matt, for you all this season to be out of the White House because – were you at all worried that the show might lose its mojo by taking you all not only out of Washington, but kind of splitting up the gang? One of the things I love about Veep, and I think it comes from the sort of British DNA, Armando Iannucci created the show. And like, I think two years in, or maybe the third season, she was president and the show was still called Veep. Like, they're willing to change and recontextualize the show every season. They'll throw whole scripts out and just write it from scratch. Like they they keep it fresh and they don't feel like, oh, we, we can't violate this or can't violate that. And that's what I love about Veep. So when they they knew Selena, Dave said many times, and Julia would agree, is that Selena has to lose. It's always funnier when she's beaten up. And so you knew they knew she was going to lose that electoral college tie. I, I think it's fortunate for the show that we're not in D.C. because it's such a nightmare right now. And people would be – it'd be hard to heighten beyond what is coming out of D.C. in real life. Definitely. So I think, I think it benefits us. And I do think, like, bringing the band back together, it is a writing challenge. Like, because it is – we all started in our own orbits. But I think as the show has gone on, I always say, like, in the beginning, we were sort of swimming in Selena's wake, following her around hallways in D.C. And as each season has gone on – you know, Mike gets married, everyone builds a life outside of it, Dan's on the news now. I think they've made the show bigger and bigger, but it is fun to see how they pull us back in and how the old faces come back in for one more, you know, putting the band back together vibe. Well, let's, can we catch up with some of the characters? Because it is fun sure. to see, you know, what everybody is up to. As you said, Dan has landed a gig anchoring the CBS morning show. Do you like so that plot line? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I wanted to say congratulations, Mazel Dan, to you. And I think he does an excellent job. Did you have to get permission from CBS to do that? I'm assuming I, you did. That's a great question. I don't know, but I, I had the same reaction watching it. Like, cause I don't, 
I'm not in the room when they film those. Like, I'm not in the morning show set, but I'm like, how did they get? I feel the same they way. How did have, they get CBS's blessing? They must have assented to that. In, but isn't in it some is way. it satire? Like, do, do comedians have more leeway? To I guess, but it's it is a world with bigger egos and even sharper knives than yeah. Washington. I guess so. They yeah. they successfully found one like that. Well, we have um, a clip of an exchange between Dan and his co-anchor uh, Jane, played by Margaret Collin. They cracked me up, and of course, this was my world for many years, as you know, Matt. So we pulled a clip of her talking, and I had to laugh at this because I think it's the anchor woman's fear that a younger, more attractive woman is coming just around the corner to take her job. Let's listen. Yes, Danny, I know that we're not actually fucking because you're not a billionaire, and I don't want to catch anything. Okay, well, then maybe you can call the post and tell them that these rumors about us are complete bullshit because this is like Dewey Blows Truman here. Damn, if I stop being fuckable, then I am grandma. And if I'm grandma, I will be replaced by two tits with a degree from American University over there. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so funny. <laughs> so, I love so, the American University joke. It reminds too. me of the uh, what was the uh, Goldie Hawn line about there are three ages for women in Hollywood: babe, district attorney, and driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's true of anchor people too. <laughs> anyway, did you see so the we, farewell? When did you? Are you caught up? I'm not caught up yet. So I'm not caught up. It. Don't spoil. I won't it. spoil anything. No, no. I think the idea is. We're spoiling people who haven't seen like the beginning of the sixth okay, season, but you, if you haven't finished it, we're not going to spoil. Uh, you that got for some you. good stuff ahead for you, Katie. Okay. You'll, so, you'll so, definitely relate to I'm so to that excited. I'm so oh, excited. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jonah is using his cancer to help his political career. That's so cynical, isn't it, Matt? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and he's like the most hated man in Washington, sort of a la Ted Cruz. Yes. That would I mean, be a close, yeah. He would be a close comparison. One of the things I really love about the show is how much of it is drawn from real life and real history or sort of a twist or a parody on mm-hmm. history. I mean, I remember in the season finale of last season, the new president gets credit for freeing Tibet. Yes. When it was really Selena who had been sort of working furiously with the Chinese very much like Jimmy Carter. Carter with the Iranian hostages. And, of yes. course, Reagan got credit for freeing them the day that he was sworn in, too. Yes. That is – I'm sure it was uh, inspired. They do – the writers, you know, every year do field trips to D.C. and try to get the nitty-gritty stories behind, you know, how things are made or what – you know, what went down. And I think this year – they interviewed Romney for a few hours. Like he came to the writer's room and told him. Oh, what it's really? Like to, yeah. They, they, he told him what it was like to lose an election and how you build yourself up. And so they really do their research before they start like structuring the season. And I remember reading in one of these episodes that when you talk to Romney, you, you recognized how much he had this big support system of family and friends and business to sort of catch him when he fell after the loss, yeah. and you guys just decided, okay, well, what would it be like to lose without any of that? And that's <laughs> yeah. what we're going to make Selena go through. <laughs> yeah, Selena is terrible to her daughter. She's terrible to everyone, so it's actually quite fun to see her way at the bottom. It is fun to have to to have a character that is so unlikable and yet so popular. Yeah. What What is it about her? You know, I've been told a few times— Maybe I should be concerned, Matt. And Brian, please do not confirm this, that I remind people of Selena. 
Oh my oh god. god. It couldn't be more different. Oh my god, you do not want that comparison. Oh my god. I think it's sometimes because there's a flurry of activity around me sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't know what that makes me. Yeah. You're Gary? Yeah. Are you Gary? I hope I'm not Gary. I, I do. Sometimes I hand my purse to Brian and say, Gary, come on, make it snappy. Yeah, yeah. Do you want some rose hip tea, Katie? <laughs> Well, we're going to take a break because I want to talk to Matt Walsh more about political reality versus beef. And that's right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Sean Spicer versus Mike McClintock. How do you assess the two together? That's the question. Uh, Mike actually at the podium in the press room is competent at his job. Sean Spicer is not. So my (laughs) advice to Sean Spicer is quit. Like you should quit your job. I understand that he seems like someone who's been knocking around DC forever and he's finally in the spotlight and people like that want to hang on to whatever little power they have. But it's a terrible administration and have some respect for yourself and quit that job. And what about the argument that some people make that they should stay in the administration because they're a force for good, or if they were to leave, they'd just be replaced by somebody worse? In that position, no. You're not. You're a puppet. You're, you're a mouthpiece for a liar and a corrupt administration. So I don't see you affecting anything. I guess if you're an advisor inside there and you stick to your values, if you're Mattis or somebody like that, I guess you could make that argument. Yeah, like, thank God I'm, trust me, guys, thank God I'm in the room. Believe me. <laughs> Believe me. The alternative is worth I just that. wait till the president's attention goes away and we still do what we want to do. Like, sure, I'm glad that guy or that woman is there. Sure. And, and why do you think Sean Spicer stays around? I honestly feel like the way our show is a workplace comedy. So you get to see, beyond Selena, you get to see the lives of the advisors and the you know, every schedulers and press secretaries, et cetera. And I think those people hang on because to be in the White House is the big show. Like that's what you want. You want that A-list power. And so I think once you get it, your whole behavior, you've been inching towards this thing and all your decisions and all your cutthroat sort of moves have gotten you in this position. I think you just out of instinct cling to it. 
And I also think people, and I think you can even see it in Veep in a way, how insulated the world becomes and oh, how yeah. these people become your family and you have very little interaction outside this world because it basically sucks the oxygen out of your entire being. You can see how almost uh, it, both intoxicating and suffocating that can be. Yeah. And I yeah, I think there's like history, you know, for Mike, there's some loyalty there. He's been with her for 20 years and I'm sure in the early days it was friendly and fun, and now it's just like routine or whatever. But yeah, I, I think that it is. Uh, what else would you do? Could you really just unplug and start a nursery in Santa Barbara or something? Like, I don't think so. These people are animals. You talked about Sean Spicer a moment ago, and we have a clip where Spicer's uh, Spicy's American flag pin is upside down, and the press corps tells him during a press conference. Let's oh, listen. I have not heard. Thank you for this. And with that, I'd be glad to take your questions. John Roberts. John Roberts always helping with the fashion tips. So it's still upside down. Stress cross Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, there's no promo. John, now on to your questions. Jesus, that it's is still terrible. Down. That's my favorite line of the whole thing. <laughs> See, that's like we would have conversations like that in the room. Like, is that too bad? Like, is that not believe? Would Mike really get on the podium with that? It's remarkable. We also have another clip that I want to play of Mike and Jonah uh, talking about one of my personal favorites, uh, a song from the Civil War called Ah, Cooper Peace. Yeah, let's listen to that. Oh, my gosh. Sing me a song. Just spin the old dial on Radio McClintock, see what it lands on. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Goober Peas? I have no fucking idea what that is. It's an old Civil War song. For real? Yeah. Perfect. It's like a history lesson. Hit me up. You want me to count you in? No. Five, six, seven, eight. When a horseman passes, soldiers have a rule. They cry at their loudest, Mr. Where's your mule? Put a little twang in it. Why? <laughs> But another pleasure more enchantinger than these is wearing out your grinders, eating goober peas. Play the banjo. Peas, 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 peas. (laughs) We were trying to get a public domain song uh, for that moment on the set, and I was remembering my childhood, and I learned that song. I'm like, that's got to be public domain, so I pitched that song. And in spite of all this absurdity, every Washington pro I ever talked to says, this is the most authentic show about politics today. I mean, how scary is that? It really is, because it's important business. And to realize that the buffoons we play are a reflection of what happens in D.C. is scary. Yeah. By the way, I have a total girl crush on Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I'm sure oh. I'm not alone, Mike. Um, we're we're friendly, um, believe it or not. My late husband, I think, did some business with her dad. And I actually was looking at some photographs last night when we were on the Seinfeld set uh, oh. when I was interviewing her and Jerry for their final episode, or at least uh, I think at the height of the popularity of that show, which I don't think at, ever dwindled. But what does she and like to BT work with? Dubs, she was a guest on this podcast. Oh, that's true. Yes. We, yeah, we, lest I definitely, you forget. I traded on our friendship and brought her here to sure. be on our podcast as well. But what what does she like to work with? Because she seems like she's such a a brilliant comedian, needless to say, but also a really generous coworker. She is. Uh, 
Julia's the best. She keeps it real. She's fun. She's friendly. When we lived in Baltimore, uh, we used to shoot, you know, four seasons. We were there. There was more downtime. And she would, you know, she was she was a good, like, mom organized. She would host card parties or she would. She's great. And she's so talented. What's the worst thing about Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Yeah. Enough How with all I this say praise. The worst thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's her, what her worst single thing? most horrible quality? Uh, I don't know. Uh-huh, it doesn't <laughs> exist. That's a good. That's a good press secretary's answer. That's a very right leading. I question. can't think of one. Uh, <laughs> no, she's really great, and she's is very like no, nice and normal and kind and super talented. Like she really sets the tone for the show, and she's. Uh, I've definitely have learned a ton. You know, working with her, she really is one of the best I've ever worked. What with. have you learned? Oftentimes, when you have a joke on the page, you're as an actor, you're sort of racing to get to that punchline. You know, your instinct is like, I just got to get through this so I can say the joke. And she is so good at like taking these little detours on the way to the joke. So like relishing the setup and finding little comic moments in the setup of the joke. Uh-huh. That was sort of a revelation. It doesn't speak highly of me, <laughs> perhaps, but. <laughs> Things like that, or just she has sort of an unbelievable quest for specifics in any scene, whether it's I'm going to write my, I'm going to sign these bills, like what's the pen? Do you know what I mean? Like she really loves the specifics, and I think that uh, is another thing I'm amazed by. Now, less people think that she's the only superstar on this show. I noticed in the GQ profile of you, Matt, that that this (laughs) paragraph, that this paragraph was written and appeared it's within the improv world that he's most recognized, mobbed even outside of the theater. He's the Pope and Harry Styles combined. He is the son, and everyone else has been granted life by his mere existence, and oh, this brother. makes him feel awkward. So I didn't realize that you were Zeus in a particular setting. Well, in the improv world, because I started a theater that people care about and a school that people care about, it would be like I, – I, when I lived in New York, I actually found an apartment above our theater. So it's imagine like the dean of the college living in front of the building. So every day when you walk in your door, students want to talk to you and ask you about this art form. So in that world, I do have status, yes. I do. M- meanwhile, let's, let, let, let's talk about sort of the the – chatter on the set about the current administration and really among your friends and family members. I mean, what do you make of Donald Trump? What would we have to talk about, by the way? (laughs) I'm sure they're all very pro-Trump on Veep, Is there a new angle that we haven't hit? (laughs) No, but but I mean, are you all just every day, almost on an hourly basis, scratching your heads Uh, or shaking your heads? Well, the context of it, we— we're on set the night of this the the previous year's election in November. We were on set, and it got gloomier and gloomier. We like everyone suspected, oh, Hillary's probably going to win, and so that was like the beginning of the Trump era penetrating our show. And they didn't change any of the storylines. Her being out of D.C. was turned out to be a blessing. And then, yeah, I mean, everybody, the writers and the consultants on this show are super smart, and of course, every day we're hearing about what came out of D.C. the last moment, and uh, there is an obsession with the insanity. I have no insight into how terrible it is and how we can survive it other than, you know, we just try to make the show funny and focus on 
small acts of kindness. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can't <laughs> dissect. It's a disaster. I mean, I'm completely fucking disappointed in so many ways. And in the nature of common decency has been erased. And the tradition of the office has been erased. And it's the acceptance of lies is standard procedure. It's not even so much of his policies. I couldn't even tell you how he lands on them. It's more the tradition of, like, reason has been ignored. It's interesting. So much of what seemed farcical and ridiculous on the show has sort of come to pass in real life. I mean, I remember one episode in which Selena was live tweeting, and that was just absurd. I mean, a president couldn't yeah. be live tweeting. Oh, we, chasing, we were trying to get into the situation room to knock the phone out of her hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now that wouldn't even be – people would watch that moment now and be like, why is why are they so scared of a tweet? Like, what what does that mean? It does. Like, there are things that have changed, and maybe next year – what, I don't know what the stories are going to be, but maybe next year we'll have to consider. Uh, but again, we they the show the last president we reference is Reagan, so they try and you never see people like Anderson Cooper or Wolf Blitzer walk into our world. So they really try to cling to that bubble of fiction because it gives us more latitude and hopefully makes the show more timeless. I think. And they never they never mention it, what political party Selena is, for example. Yeah, and that's why Republicans and Democrats like our show. Like, they oftentimes think, you know, they're making fun of the other party. You know, they don't see themselves in it. Like, way to skewer the Republicans. And like, well, we're kind of getting everybody, actually, but okay. Okay, but what party do you really think Selena is? I don't know. I mean, you could go through her issues and probably find her somewhere. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that's any a hunch about this? answer. Do I have a hunch? I mean, what do you think? I'll say. That. What do you think she is? What do I think she is? Yeah. If she had to be one party, what party would she be? I tend to think she's a Democrat, but maybe I'm biased by the fact that in real life, all the people playing these characters are Democrats. Yeah. And so I tend to think of them like Democrats. Right. I'm not sure that she's actually put forward a policy that would reveal one yeah. way or the other. Although she sort of did. That jobs program. Yeah. That that seemed a little bit more big government. And she had than a early on some do. green energy program. Oh yeah, there was right. green to push energy through. thing. Yeah. So yeah, those I'd would be more progressive agenda. Yeah, she's more progressive. You sure? I just don't want to say it so HBO doesn't fire me or something like that. <laughs> I'm such a company man. Do you think there's something about women in politics, and particularly a woman as president, that drives a lot of the humor and criticism. I mean, a lot of people are now looking at this in the wake of Hillary's loss. Rebecca Traster wrote an interesting piece in New York Magazine, also a former guest on this show, uh, about, you know, <laughs> I sound like I'm just plugging plug, plug, nonstop. Plug. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. well, somebody's got to. Katie mentioned the Today Show interview with Julia, not even our podcast one. I'm sorry, anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> but to what extent do you think we still hold female political leaders to a different standard? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, it is still a novelty, unfortunately. Like, I don't think we've had a female vice president office, and we haven't had a female president. So it is fiction right now. So I think that was the impetus for the show when Armando and Julia got together. Is like, you know, she's a woman in office, but also she's in the worst office, which is vice president. But I, that's a big question. Like, Well, do you think a lot of the humor comes from women being – judged and treated differently. I mean, I remember somebody saying that if you're a woman in politics 
and you're too strong, you're a bitch. And if you're too weak, well, you're just too weak and you can't be elected to an executive job. And so finding that sweet spot in between is almost impossible. That's a good point. I mean, sure, women are definitely held to a higher standard, of course, in, in politics. And I think it's funnier, too, for Julia to be filthy and talk like a sailor because she's an attractive <laughs> woman. Like, I think there's something inherently funnier about that. Like, if you saw a gruff, heavyset man with booze on his breath saying those things, it's almost more expected. So, yes, they do play with the convention of, like, the stuff you're speaking to. Yeah. On the other hand, she's so ridiculously self-involved and callous. Oh, my God. And so vain, so narcissistic. That, mm-hmm. you know, do you ever worry that uh, having those qualities kind of underscore what some people fear is more present in women than in men, even though we all know that's bullshit? So do you think people will see the show and because she's such a narcissist and so vain, they might associate all women with that portrayal? Is that what well, you're asking? Well, or that, you know, somehow it'll be subversively kind oh, of— Oh, it doesn't help? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that is a possible interpretation. What, uh, boy, these are good questions. I wish I was smarter. <laughs> and maybe I ultimately taking... feel like, I mean, Selena is terrible to women. Selena hates women. She does. She's so brutally mean to women. And you can go through the episodes and like, and obviously her daughter, she has a terrible relationship with her daughter. Amy, but, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amy. She's brutal to Amy. Like, she's brutal to everyone, Gary and Mike. But she's scared and, of Sue. Like, everybody's she's scared, scared of Sue. Sue. Yeah. She's scared of Sue, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's awesome that, whatever, Julia's so funny and she's at the head of a funny show. Like, I, I would think that does more good for the cause than uh, works against it. How about that for an answer? I think that's a good answer. So what would yeah. you like to do, Matt? Uh, you've got this pretty good gig going. Um, are there things that you'd like to do um, in addition to continuing with Veep? Yeah, I always tend to do a movie or two in the summers off. Um, I've directed two small like improv movies. I'll probably direct another one. I'm writing uh, a couple things that are like features. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy uh, doing movies. You have Brigsby Bear coming out? We have Brigsby right? Bear coming out. Thank you for the plug. That comes out at the end of July. Well, you did that with SNL cast member Kyle Mooney. That's right. I did that one. And then Feudal and Stupid Gesture comes out sometime this year, which is about the Lampoon, the evolution of the Lampoon magazine into the, the thing it became and all the people who came through that world. That's really cool. And I was very interested to see that you have a starring role in a rom-com called Under the Eiffel Tower. Tell me about that, Matt. (laughs) Well, someone a couple years ago said, I have a movie, you could be the lead, and we're going to film in France. And I was like, can I bring the family? And didn't even read it. (laughs) (laughs) So with that premise, it's taken two years of indie, you know, indie films scraping for money, riding out people quitting. But lo and behold, I'm going uh, in July to Paris to film a movie, and I'm bringing the kids, and Morgan, my wife's coming. And what's the movie about? It's about a bourbon salesman played by me who makes the mistake of proposing to this family friend, this woman who's only like 26 or 27, just out of grad school, and that just goes south from there. He's on a drinking bender, hooks up with this (laughs) rugby player, and then meets a woman who owns a vineyard. Uh, And they fall in love. Oh, that sounds so fun. Yeah, it is fun. It's glamorization of 
French culture, which we Americans love to see on film. And uh, there's some funny people, David Wayne and Michaela Watkins and Gary Cole. So we have oh, a good I, cast. Oh, Gary Cole. So you'll have a little yes. reunion with Gary Cole. Yes, Gary's a friend, a legit friend. So, yes, he will be out there. So we're all sort of psyched to you know go overseas and relax for a while. I love him on Veep, too, because he's just— Oh, he's just, such a great character, He's isn't so he? funny. And, and you know, I, I grew up with him— and weird, really? like, well, no, I didn't grow up with oh. him. I grew, I grew up watching him. <laughs> Sorry, I grew up watching him, and he used to play very dark characters. And to yes. see him, to see him really flex his comedy muscles is so much fun to me. The other guy I love in Veep, Matt, is the the kind of he looks very much like a political operative. Kevin Dunn. I love Kevin Dunn. He is yeah. so great. He comes up with the funniest one-liners. He talks about his nuts a lot. I do notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Katie's always partial to a good testicle joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is then true. You're his demo, Katie. You're his demo. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kevin's amazing. So is Gary. Those guys were like Chicago actors when I was in the city. So they're like real thespians, as well as being super hilarious, funny human beings. You know, and speaking of super hilarious, by the way, the episode when I told friends of mine that I was talking to you yeah. that came up the most was the Master Cleanse. Oh, really? Yes. That's so funny. Which was hysterical <laughs> to me. Oh, no breakfast for this guy. Who's offering? You are looking at a guy on the Master Cleanse. I feel amazing. What in the lunatic fuck is the Master Cleanse? Sounds like Nazi domestic policy. Yeah. I think it was last season. Do you he want was, to describe what's happening? Mike is uh, on a master cleanse, and he's like sort of fasting and just drinking like lemon, cayenne, maple syrup, one of those things. Yeah. And uh, I give, uh, the writers knew someone, but apparently you have to like drink it every 15 minutes or you will literally crash on your glucose. <laughs> you'll just your, faint. You'll just faint. So Mike <laughs> forgot to bring his bottle to the podium and was like – Losing his mind and just during the briefing. During the briefing, <laughs> Julia has this great line where she where she walks in the room after the the juice had been spilled, and she said, "It smells like Puerto Rico in here," <laughs> which is probably vaguely racist, but I was it was funny. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's so fun to talk to you, Matt. And listen, thank you for. You and the whole Veep crew for entertaining us uh, season after season, and it's a real highlight of our, of my Sunday night, and uh, and it's so great because you can binge watch Veep, uh, which is something that my husband and I often do. So yeah, it's only a half hour. Come on, you can you can watch a whole season in one sitting practically. Thank you so much for coming by. Next time, I hope I get to Real see pleasure. you in person. I, I met you at that. the Veep premiere yes, a couple we did. Of years, years back, and that no was a treat for me. No one invited me to the Veep me. premiere, but that's okay. We didn't have it's a premiere okay. this year. Don't feel bad. must have lost my invitation. We no didn't worries. have a premiere this no year. Maybe next year, you <laughs> okay. guys. If, right. if we have a premiere, I'll try to get one of you in. <laughs> It'll probably go <laughs> to Katie. You get it, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, I totally. You know. <laughs> She's old friends with Julia. Once a Gary, always a Gary, you know? <laughs> thanks Matt thank you thanks a huge thank you to our great team that helps make this show happen 
Every time we do it, our producer, Gianna Palmer, our sound engineers, Jared O'Connell in New York and Ryan Connor in L.A., and Allison Bresnick, who slays our social media, also Emily Bina of Katie Couric Media, and Nora Ritchie, who always provides great extra editorial support. And Mark Phillips, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you, as always, for our terrific theme music. Katie Couric and I are the executive producers of this show. And folks, please drop us a line. You can leave a voicemail at 929-224-4637 or email us at comments at currickpodcast.com. We really do read the comments and listen to the comments. As for social media, I'm at GoldsmithB on Twitter. Katie is all over the social sphere. At Katie Couric on Twitter and Instagram, Katie.Couric on Snapchat. She's on Facebook. She is everywhere. I, I'm everywhere. And I tried to do a social media detox. And what can I say? I've <laughs> fallen off the wagon. You're pretty addicted. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, if you like our show, we'd love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe as well. If you don't like our show, I don't know what you're doing listening to this part of the credits, but shut up on the ratings and reviews, please. 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.